Good morning and hello. Would you turn with me in your Bibles? If you want to, there's a pew Bible in front of you and the page numbers are on the little insert outline that we have in the bulletin for you. I'm going to be reading 1 Samuel chapter 12, the first 15 verses today. We're going to be looking at those verses together. And we are reading from the English Standard Version, known as the ESV. We kind of changed over and just want to say real quick, if you have a new international version, which is a Bible I've been using for 30-some years in ministry and that I still really like, it's a great translation. You don't have to throw it away. However, we, we moved to the ESV because it's a little more word true, so to speak. The NIV does dynamic translation, equivalent translation. So sometimes they take the word and kind of add a few words to translate it for us. And sometimes it's good just to look at the word that was there and kind of figure it out, study it on our own. So that's why we went to the ESV. Great translations and whatever you have in your hands, it's God's word. But let's read it together. 1 Samuel chapter 12. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you. And I am old and gray. It's getting personal. <laughs> I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have we taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will re restore it to you. They said to him, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hands. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went to Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, when your fathers cried out to the Lord, the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of king, the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerobel and Barak and Japheth and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, from whom you have asked, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both, of you, both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. A long time ago, 
in a land far away when children were hardly seen and never heard from. <laughs> a famous artist went to visit his daughter for tea. He was a, and as a special treat, his little granddaughter was allowed to come and sit at the table with grandpa. But she acted horribly and was put in the corner. And grandpa wanted to intervene, but he didn't. But the next day he came with his paintbrush and his palette. And in that corner where his granddaughter had stood, he painted little lambs frolicking in the meadow and cats chasing their tails and goldfish in a pond and all those things. So if she was ever bad again, when she stood in that corner, she would have something to look at. Gracious grand, you know, grandpas can get away with that, right? When we sin, our Heavenly Father does not treat us as we deserve, but He's gracious. He does not send us to jail. He does not send us to worse, but He puts us in the corner. So we come to our senses, so we, so we confess our sins, so we admit our errors, so we turn back to Him and follow Him with all our hearts. He did that with the Philistines, and we saw that. Even unbelievers, even those who aren't his children, he treats graciously. I mean, when, when the ark was there and the idol of Dagon was falling down and they were plagued, it was like God was saying, why don't you just believe in the true God? Come to me, and I will rescue you the way I will deliver Israel from you. God's always inviting us back because we're always going astray. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Jesus said it this way. Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The nation of Israel, we've been going through 1 Samuel, is at a key turning point. They're moving from judges to monarchs, from judges to kings. And when that happened in Israel's history, God always had a special speech given to them, and he records them for us. So when Moses was moving on, and it was moving on to Joshua, when they were in the wilderness, and now they're about to enter the promised land, Moses gave a great speech. Let me read a few words. Now, therefore, today, and, and lay it on your heart that the Lord is God in heaven and above above and on earth beneath there is no other therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you and then it was Joshua and Joshua had conquered the land and now there was a transition when Joshua was going to to move on to heaven to glory and other people were going to come in and judge Joshua gave a speech. It was a transition time, moving from a conqueror now to like the people kind of getting settled in. They moved into the house. Now they had to get the, the land in order. And here's what Joshua said in Joshua 24. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Samuel's going to give a speech. 
He's going to give a sermon. At the end of it, in verse 24 of chapter 12, we're going to look at it later on in in just a few moments. Only fear the Lord, Samuel says, and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. So this morning, we're going to consider God's grace. Because we forget God's grace. And he's always calling us back. Let's pray. Father and God, you are the only God. There's no other name worth declaring. There's no other name really in all the world. Lord, there is no other God to praise, to worship, to trust, and to follow. Lord, teach us what we need to hear today. There are individuals who need to hear your voice about your grace today. Open up their hearts, Lord. Lord, as a congregation, we again need to be reminded, we've been reminded today of the goodness and your grace, the hope you give us. Lord, meet our needs, we pray in Jesus' name. We ask it for your honor and glory. Amen. God's faithful grace poured out through his servants. We read it already, the first five verses of of Samuel. Samuel reviews his life. This is going to be one of his final sermons. He's not off the scene yet. We're going to see him in a few chapters later on in 1 Samuel. But he has been a faithful judge. He says, I took nothing. And he's just reminding them that he took nothing because a little bit earlier he said, but you wanted a king that's going to be like all the other nations. And just remember, they are going to take things. But I was God's anointed one, appointed one, and I did not take anything. And I said, you know what, Samuel, you're right. Now, someone might say, hey, Samuel, this sound, hey, Sam, this sounds like a, little, like a little egotistical here. I mean, you're telling us how great you are. It would be better if you let other people say that for you, you know. But that's not his intention at all here. He wasn't reminding the people how great he was. He was reminding the people that God was still king. That they made a mistake when they desired a king. Now, we know God had a plan to bring a king. It would be King David, was a man after his own heart. And ultimately, those kings were a picture of the only king, the true king, Jesus Christ, who was to come. But what he was saying is, oh, you forgot that God was king. And I want to remind you that, you know, God's system of appointing judges, and the only reason he appointed judges was because you guys went astray and you sinned and you forgot your God, so he had to send a deliverer. And every time you guys admitted that you had made a mistake, that you had sinned, mistake's a a gentle word, isn't it? That you had sinned and rebelled against God, he sent a deliverer and it worked. So why don't you just trust God? But you didn't. You asked for a king. Another reason Samuel was saying this is because Saul's that appointed or anointed witness. There was God who was witness, and the anointed witness was Saul. He was standing right by Samuel's side, and Samuel was kind of like saying to Saul, he was raising the bar and saying, you know, Saul, you're going to be king, and I didn't take anything. So as the king of Israel, God's anointed king, don't you take anything either. Paul said to the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I've imitated Christ. Jesus' way is to be my way. As the Father sent me, 
Even so, I'm sending you, Jesus said in the upper room after his resurrection, after he had conquered death and sin for us. He was looking at his disciples and he said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. I have absolutely no grace to give anybody. I have absolutely no power to turn people's lives, to cover their sins, to make atonement for. But as a believer in Christ, if we put our faith in him, then we do have grace to give, not from ourselves, but the grace of God that is all abundant and never runs out. We have power to live for God and to follow God and to serve him, to follow Christ, to go as he, has, as he was sent, we are to go the same way, humbly, Gently speaking the truth. Boy, God's grace is always providing what we need. Can I just remind you of something today that God sent Moses and Deborah and Gideon and Samuel and Samson and David and the list goes on and on of deliverance, people to help but finally he sent Jesus Christ. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And that salvation teaches us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Salvation provided through Christ, transforming power that changes people, that turns us from, instead of pursuing evil, now we begin, we have the power to begin to pursue holy things, beautiful things, heavenly things. Jesus purchased us from death to give us life on the cross. He makes us pure people, even though we're as guilty as hell is guilty. And yet he sees us as a pure bride, a beautiful bride. Isn't that amazing? That's God's grace. That's God's grace. And how vital is it that you and I live holy lives, that we pursue God's grace and, and seek after God so that we fall in love with him more and more and we, we turn our backs on our old ways and begin to pursue the new. How vital is it? Great story from America's past. In the summer of 1805, a number of Indian chiefs and warriors went to a council meeting at Buffalo Creek, New York, to hear a presentation of the Christian message from a missionary from Boston. Red Jacket, a leading chieftain, responded after, after the presentation. Brother, you say that there is but one way to worship and serve the Great Spirit. If there is but one religion, why do all you white people differ so much about it? Why not all agree as you can all read the same book? Brother, we are told that you have been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has on them. If we find it does them good, makes them honest and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will consider again what you have said. <laughs> How would we do on that one? 
bride of Christ, like Israel was chosen, we're chosen. And God's given us all this great material. <laughs> it's called the Word of God. The Holy Spirit living in us if we're a follower of Christ, if we've surrendered our life in Him in faith, believing He died for our sins. We have one another. We have this gathering weekly to feed. We have small groups. We have so much. We got podcasts. We got books. We got it all. Be sure to fear and serve the Lord faithfully with all your heart because consider everything he's given us. God's faithful grace is poured out through his servants. He gave Israel Samuel. He's given us Christ. God's faithful grace is poured out on his people. Let's look again at verses 6 through 11 together in chapter 12 of 1 Samuel. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. What Samuel does is just, I think he might have given more details, but we have the summary statement here. Samuel makes clear. He just wants to remind them that the Lord appointed Moses. The Lord was the one who was delivering them. Saul's his appointed servant, but it's really God who's going to be rescuing you. And this sermon of Samuel's or this speech of Samuel's has this feel of the courtroom. He says, stand still. It's like get up to the bar, you know, like a courtroom bar. Stand up and listen to what God has done. And he reviews the history how God delivered Israel from Egypt. And, you know, for Israel, the deliverance from Egypt, you know, you've watched the Ten Commandment movie, so you can picture it all, right? How all the plagues and everything, how God delivered them. This was their creed. Who's the God you believe in? Well, he's the creator. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he delivered us from Egypt. And he rescued us and we walked through the Red Sea and we walked through across the Jordan River on dry ground and the walls of Jericho fell and, and we conquered all these people and he's protected us. He gave us manna and we rebelled, but he gave us and he was faithful. He gave us water. He delivered us and he will deliver anyone who calls out his name in faith, believing faith. He alone is the one who made the way for us to dwell in this land. That was their creed. And Samuel's just saying, hear this and remember it. Here's their record. So think about how Christ and what God has done through his word, the story of redemption that started in Genesis and goes through Revelation and where we're at in the part of that story and how God has been faithful, people of God. Then there's a record of Israel's faithfulness or unfaithfulness. Verse 9, but they forgot the Lord their God. I have that underlined in my new Bible, my new ESV, because it's significant, but they forgot. So consider God's grace, because we forget, but they forgot. So God sold them into slavery. He let them be oppressed. He let them stand in a corner and come to their senses. That's the downside but what's the upside? Verse 10, they cried out to the Lord. 
good move. They admitted, we have sinned. And then they cried out, deliver us. And God was faithful. He sent deliverer after deliverer, time after time. When you're doubting God's goodness because of the trouble that you're going through right now in your life, whatever it is, big or small, the unknown, just remember what God has done. Don't forget the Lord your God. When we turn away from him, this is what happens. When we turn back to him and humbly confess our sins, God's right there to pick us up. We're in transition, right, as a congregation. Are you guys tired of hearing that word transition? Don't be. Because life is just full of transitions. I used to be a kid. I was cute when I was little. <laughs> I have pictures to prove it. We're always in transition. I was a teenager, then I was a young adult. Some of us get married, then we have toddlers, and then we have kids. Then we have teenagers. And then we have empty nests. And then we have grandchildren. And we're dealing with our parents' health issues, and then we're dealing with our own health issues, and then we're starting to think about the future and, and not working as much or as hard, and, and about dying. You have thought about dying, haven't you? Because you are going to die unless Jesus comes back very soon. So we're always in transition. So, and if you're not in transition, then you've had a memorial service. <laughs> so, yeah, we're in transition. And we ought to be glad we're in transition because God wants to transition us from unholiness to holiness, from being immature to more mature. So let's just get used to the idea, and I'm preaching to myself, that we're in transition. And it's a good thing to be in transition. It means God's not done with us yet. If you're ever in a dialogue with someone who's doubting God's goodness and faithfulness, you know, that mean God that's in the Old Testament that had a lot of people killed that were, you know, like in the promised land and stuff, well, just remind them how gracious God has been to those unbelievers and patient with them and, and then tell them your story about how God was patient with you and has brought you along. Just remind people how good God is because God is the God of second chances and it's a good thing he is, second chances and more. In Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and he said, asked a question, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. And the Greek there is not real clear, so we're not sure if he meant 77 times or 490 times. But the number doesn't matter, because in God's grace calculator, there isn't a number of sins you do, and oh, your ticket's up. <laughs> You're over the limit. No more forgiveness. It just keeps coming when we come to God and ask for forgiveness. 
If we confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, not because we deserve it, but because Christ has paid it all. He died for our sins on the cross, and he was raised to life, proving it's a done deal. God's faithful grace is poured out through his servants, servants like Samuel, other servants through the ages, especially through Jesus Christ, the ultimate deliverer, king, savior, but through his people who he has sent. It's poured out, God pours out his grace because he is the God of grace. And it's poured out on humble sinners. Back to 1 Samuel, reading at verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. The Philistines were coming from the west, Nahash and the Ammonites from the east, and Israel forgot all of God's history in that moment. They didn't think an old prophet and judge like Samuel and step with God Almighty was good enough, so they needed a king. And God graciously gave them a king. But what's interesting, if we read just a little further in verse 14, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandments of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. <laughs> Nothing's changed. The old era of judges, the new era of a king, same old stuff is necessary. It's all in the heart. It's all about trusting. It's all about faith. Trust God. Follow God. Obedience shows what you really believe. That's the starting point, starting point believing in God. No one's saved by keeping God's law because we can't. So we need to ask for forgiveness. And they depended on God to forgive them. And, and, and Christ was going to die for them so their sins could be covered as they trusted in God. We get to look back at the cross because the transaction has been done. And we know we're forgiven when we trust in him. There's salvation in no other God. Have you believed it this morning? And will you receive it? And will you spread the news? So the old time religion of trusting in God. And then obeying God because you believe he's the God who can save. The old time religion that was needed before the king is going to be needed in this newfangled age of the king. And if they disobey, they're going to get in trouble. But as they trust in God, he will lead them. They still are going to need God's grace to be poured out on them. They're still going to need his gracious correction. He's going to put them in the corner again and again. And they're going to be forgiven again and again when they turn to God and ask for forgiveness. Look at verse 16. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord and asking for yourself in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. 
What do you do when your pile of sins is big and then you add more sins to the pile? (laughs) See what God can do. Samuel said, it's the wheat harvest time. That was May, June. It was a dry season. It doesn't rain in May and June. And Samuel says, I'm going to pray today, and it's going to rain today. There's going to be a major thunderstorm that's going to wipe out the wheat crop. And he prayed, and it happened. Reminds me of Elijah. He's in that list of great intercessors. This is what God was saying. Here's what I think of your king idea, Israel. And it was a thunderstorm. They got it. They were terrified. They were so terrified, they said, Samuel, in verse 19, and all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God. The weight of their sin was so great that they didn't even claim to be God's people. They said, you know what? We're so sinful. We don't even deserve to be known as God's people. Samuel, you pray for us because we know the Lord God, Jehovah, is your God. You're his servant. Pray for us. Have you ever, ever felt the weight of your sin before Christ? When's the last time you felt the weight of your sin so heavy that you went to somebody else and asked them to pray for you because you've been so wayward and and sinful? We just don't do it very often. But here the whole nation is feeling the weight of their sin and they're crying out for help and for mercy and they're asking Samuel to stand in their place because they feel unworthy. What do you do when your sins are just being piled up? Cry out to God. And God will forgive your sins. Intercede for us. You know what? We should just be amazed. Amazed at how gracious our God is. And only words of adoration and praise and gratefulness and should be pouring out of our lips today to one another. We ought to just share how much God's forgiven us. Even for what we've done this week and how gracious God has been, how he's leading us. We ought, to, we ought to be talking about it all the time. And I know you are. But some of you in the back that slip out too fast, we don't get to know you. Some people up front, too. We'll point at everybody. We need to stop and talk and remind ourselves how great God is. How gracious he's been in our lives, how he's led us here. And if you're not feeling it right now, think about how he has been and why you're here and why God has brought us together to move forward together in ministry and the things he has for us to do. What's the worst thing humanity ever did? They put Jesus on the cross. But what did God's grace do with that? our hate, our evil intentions. What did God do with that? 
He turned the shame of the cross into the most glorious message and life-changing event in the world. He poured out his love there. If you don't believe God loves the world, look at the cross. God's faithful grace is being poured out for his great name's honor. Oh, wow. I'm running late. Too bad. God's grace is greater than our sin. So they've piled up their sins and they've added to it asking for a king because they forgot that God was king. So it doesn't get too much worse than this. It's what they did again when Jesus was there. The deliverer's there and they said, get away from us. We don't want this man. Get rid of him. Crucify him. What worse thing could you do? But on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 Jews repented and they were forgiven and filled with the Spirit. God's grace. And that's what happens here. In verse 20, and Samuel said to the people, you've done all this terrible stuff. Yeah, you sinned again, Israel. And what does he say? Do not be afraid. We just had this thunderstorm. It's not supposed to rain. We had this terrible storm. The crops are wiped out. And you're saying, don't be afraid. God's not real happy. Don't be afraid. Why? Because the Lord will never, verse 22, forsake his people. Just give up on the empty things. The empty things that bring emptiness and just believe and trust in God. In Luke chapter 8, don't have time to turn there. Great catch of fish. The disciples had been fishing all night, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and they didn't catch anything. And Jesus said, throw the net on the other side. And there was this great catch. And what did Peter say when he came and saw Jesus, when he suddenly realized who God was and how he said, get away from me, a sinful man. See, the weight of his sin, he felt in that moment before a holy God. And what did Jesus say? Do not be afraid. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And they left everything and followed him. Don't be afraid, disciples. I'm leaving you, but it's going to be okay. Don't let your hearts be troubled. In this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Don't be afraid. One other thing. Verse 23 through the end of the chapter. Moreover, as for me, Samuel saying, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart for consider what great things he has done for you. How would Samuel sin against God and the people if he did not pray for them? Because God had not given up on his people, so Samuel could not give up on his people. He needed to pray for them. Let me read a quote from G. Campbell Morgan. There's a remarkable truth here in verse 23. In prayer, we create conditions which make it possible for God to act in ways he otherwise chooses not to. When we cease to pray, we limit God. When we pray, we open up his way to act. This is a mystery. 
We cannot account for it philosophically. No prayer of mine can change the will of God. But my prayer can and does make it possible for his power to operate in ways impossible apart from it. When I cease to pray for men, I sin against God first because I hinder him in that I do not help him. We have the most amazing resource in all the world, prayer. And God invites us to pray. And we can work with him. And if I fail to pray, then I'm hindering him. Because I'm not for him. I'm not with him. I am so excited that the prayer team is leading us in, leading us in prayer. That this grassroots movement is encouraging us to pray. And we do need to pray. We need to confess our sins. We need to pray. And you're praying for youth now. So many of you are youth. That's so amazing. Let's not stop. Choose your course. You've sinned, but don't be afraid. Turn to me and trust. Do you need a fresh start? Israel needed a fresh start. Do we need a a fresh start collectively? God's willing to give us a fresh start. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to remember your grace, to consider it. All that you've done for your children. Oh, give us faith to believe that you are going to do great things as we humbly turn to you. You're a great God, and we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.